0: Hi, this is Chris McGregor of Discerning Hearts, asking for your help during this Lenten and Easter season. Support from our listeners is vital and allows us to bring you and many others high-quality spiritual programs like the one you are listening to now. It also assists us in our outreach to areas around the globe, touching literally millions of souls via the World Wide Web. Our highly rated free Discerning Hearts app allows you to access over a thousand audio files as well as video content now available on our expanding YouTube channel. We've been able to offer online spiritual seminar retreats with Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Monsignor John Essif, and Deacon James Keating. The heart of our mission is to help foster authentic spiritual formation for the seeking soul so they can fully encounter the living Christ and share in his mission of healing hearts and spreading the good news to the world. Please, won't you help us to continue this important work of evangelization by donating today to DiscerningHearts.com. DiscerningHearts.com presents The Heart of the Spiritual Exercises of St. Ignatius of Loyola with Father Anthony Wick. Father Wick is the Jesuit priest of the Central and Southern Province of the United States. He currently acts as a retreat master at the White House Jesuit Retreat Center in St. Louis, Missouri. He also serves as a spiritual director at Kenrick Glenn Seminary in St. Louis. The heart of the spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius of Loyola with Father Anthony Wick. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Father Anthony, thank you so much for being with us again.
1: Thank you very much. I enjoyed very much our conversations.
0: I just love the introduction you have provided for us for the spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius. It really did need to have some context before just diving into this wonderful gift, this great mystery that is contained within the exercises.
1: Yes, it's amazing how historical and concrete incarnational our Lord is, such that he works with Ignatius in a particular way. It's important to understand that way. So as he points us towards the Lord and beyond himself, we see the angle from which he's pointing, and we see more clearly the outlines of Jesus. And he facilitates that encounter, I would say, more effectively when we understand the surrounding and and how the spirituality is so integrated and in descending triptych that Hugo Rahner presents for us so beautifully. Incidentally, there's a funny quote to uh, Hugo Rahner, we know as the brother of Karl Rahner. At one point, he said, one day I would like to translate my brother, Karl, <laughs> in German. <laughs> Many, his works are so complicated, they're difficult to understand, but uh, it is transcendental tolism. Totally. But uh, Hugo Rahner speaks from a from a simpler perspective, but very profound, I would say, very insightful. And I want to make a corrective to, I think, something I said in the last conversation we had, and that is, it was uh, Cardinal Henri de Lubac, another Jesuit, who gave us this wonderful image of Odysseus and being tied to the mast, and that's our need in the church, to be tied to the mast in terms of faith and morals, and listen to what Christ is saying through the church, being tied to the mast, no matter what the sirens of the world are saying about it.
0: Well, I'm so glad that you brought us that image, too. I think this is really something important to ponder. And I think it's so relevant in today's world. I mean, but it was also so relevant in Ignatius' time. And one of the reasons why the spiritual exercises became so important in helping to revitalize the spiritual experience, the spiritual life, the spiritual journey of members of the body of Christ during that tumultuous time, which was the 1500s.
1: Yes, and indeed, all of our true spirituality will always be lived out well in the concrete. It'll always have this incarnational development. It'll always have this element of living concretely, but also within the bounds of the church. It'll always lead us more and more into the church, our hierarchical mother, as he says. So there's something very wise about that, that that church is a a boat, a nave. Uh, Hence, we call it the nave of the church, in which the lay faithful are present. Neighbor the church within this boat, uh, there is salvation in there. All are invited into the boat. And anyone connected to the church in uh, different forms uh, can also be saved. But there always has to be some connection to the church of Jesus. Yes. So, I would like to like move forward a little bit, uh, understanding this triptych. How does this triptych of descent, uh, understanding God above the evermore, God completely present in the fullness of divinity in christ to to know christ is to be led to the father to be led to the full experience of the trinity of self-gift and then the concrete god present in his church and god also present in nature in finding the lord all of these are vehicles to move from our incarnational experience in the church and with nature around us in our bodies to through jesus to the holy trinity So I would like to start with a reflection on the principle and foundation of the spiritual exercises. First, the spiritual exercises we said were begun And Risa, the notes, his journaling during those 10 and a half months of mystical graces poured upon him. And he starts off the spiritual exercises with what he calls the principle and foundation. One quick word about the spiritual exercises. What are the spiritual exercises? I often will ask this question to any group that's been studying Ignatian spirituality, and I'm surprised how few groups actually know what the spiritual exercises are. Not what they do or where they lead or something, but what does Ignatius say specifically, directly, the spiritual exercises are. I'll read his words at the beginning in his annotations. By the term spiritual exercises is meant every method of examine, of meditation, of contemplation, of vocal and mental prayer, and of other spiritual activities that will be mentioned later. for just as taking a walk, journeying on foot, and running our bodily exercises, so we call spiritual exercises every way of preparing and disposing the soul to rid itself of all inordinate attachments, and after their removal, of seeking and finding the will of God in the disposition of our life for the salvation of our soul. Unquote. So there are five forms of prayer, the spiritual exercises. If someone knows what spiritual exercises are, they he or she will know that there are five forms of prayer. Examine, meditation, contemplation, vocal and mental prayer to help us do what? Five forms of prayer to help us let go of the things to which we cling. Anything we're clinging to when we have a fist on something that helps us feel at least temporarily secure. We have to let go of all those things so we can open up our hands in a more Marian disposition and receive to seek and find the will of God, he says. After their removal, to seek and find the will of God in the disposition of our life for the salvation of our soul. So that's what the spiritual exercises are, five forms of prayer to help us be free, to help us enter into dialogue with the Lord, to help facilitate that encounter. What is the grounding now? And here's where I'd like to focus today, if we may. What is the grounding of the spiritual exercises? How are they grounded? St. Ignatius calls this the principle and foundation, and he literally means that. These are deep fundaments or pillars, deep shafts, pylons, thrust into the earth, thrust into the rock who is Christ, upon which a solid spiritual edifice can be built. So the principle and foundation, as a principle, holds true for all men and women. This is not unique to the charism of Ignatian spirituality. This is regardless of any spirituality or particular sense of God. It's not a Catholics-only proposition either. It's for all Christians, for all men and women of every race, nationality, and tongue to live from this principle and foundation. It begins, St. Ignatius says, that man is created for a purpose. We are created. Ignatius, by this assertion, uproots any false foundation which underlies most of our self-understanding today in the world namely that we create ourselves, that we pick ourselves up by the bootstraps. We're self-made American men and women. That's nonsense. We're created by God. This is an ongoing creation. Cardinal Ratzinger, later Pope Benedict, I remember reading that he said creation is perhaps the most denied dogma today. (laughs) And I remember reading that and wondering, what's he talking about? Everybody knows that there's creation. And then as I read further, what he was really saying is that we're always trying to create ourselves. Somewhat unwittingly, huh? trying to create ourselves. It's the same temptation of for Adam and Eve. You shall be as gods. So how do we try to create ourselves? Well, we encourage our kids to create themselves. And now in their extreme forms to create your gender, create what you think marriage is, create an image of yourself, all these exteriors. Uh, Facebook for others so that I get an impression or I make an impression on others. As if the world were blank slate on which we're to impose ourselves. God's vision is much more intimate and deep than that shallow one of self-creation that the world offers. So true creation is more intimate. It's we're created through relationship. And I think the image of Jeremiah, like clay in the potter's hands, is very appropriate here. We're continually being created. We have to be even sustained in creation. And we're created to a purpose, all right? So God has a purpose and is creating me today. And what is that purpose? We're created by God. He's the efficient cause, if you will, if you want the philosophical terms of that. Always to a purpose or goal. The final cause, and what is that final cause or purpose? It's trifold. It's kind of like we're in a triptych of descent here. The purpose in responding to God is also trifold: to praise, reverence, and serve God. That's it. It's only by this triple action that we can hope for salvation: praise, reverence, and serve God. So, why is this so critical and yet novel in its particulars in the history of spirituality? Well. Up until Ignatius, the Manuals of Spiritual Theology, from you can see it from the early church onward, they emphasize a way of perfection. And that is man seeking his own perfection instead of allowing himself to be created. Seeking his own perfection. You see it in St. Augustine around the year 400. He really emphasizes this theme that's very popular and called the restless heart. Seeking for its rest in God. If we're not careful with the nuances there... That spiritual image of Augustine will keep our restless heart at the center, not God. So God will bring about the fulfillment of my restless heart. But that would be that enter into that same pitfall of this manual of perfection. We would tend to put ourselves at the center, looking for our own fulfillment in God. God becomes a means to an end if we're not careful. There's some common reading of Thomas Aquinas which lends itself in that direction. at look, man looking for his fulfillment, looking for his happiness. But no, we need a Copernican revolution. In other words, our center can't be in the self. God must become the center. It's God creating us, calling us out of ourselves, and only in coming out of ourselves do we find ourselves. So it's, it's this Copernican revolution in the spiritual life that Ignatius affects in the church. Our center, our locus, our reason for being, it must lie in God alone. Uh, we only find ourselves losing ourselves. So, as Jesus said, right? So... As a human being, I must, I have to be ecstatic. In other words, my center, my stasis, my standing, the place I stand, has to be outside of myself. I fight my stand outside of myself in the praise, reverence, and service of another, namely my loving Creator. At the seminary where I also work, uh, Kenrick Glennon Seminary, wonderful seminary, 130 seminarians there. We emphasize this follows the IPF model, the of relationship comes before identity comes before mission so in other words i find myself only in relationship as a child receiving my identity so in relationship i discover what my identity is and from there to mission r i m the world often gets that backwards and so we start with mission so i meet you for the first time and i ask so what do you do what do you do for a living you know and from that i try to discover who your identity is then thirdly enter into a relationship with you which is all backwards Right? We discover ourselves only in relationship. We're made by another, for another. To this God who is all-loving and can rescue us. So praise in this sense, it's not, I don't know, it's not a, a performance to like a vassal to his ruler, some high-minded words of flattery, if you will. The expression of the innermost heart of a people who've found themselves in a covenant relationship with their Creator and Lord. So I propose to you and your listeners that we have no identity outside of relationship. And it's God always that initiates that relationship through his creation, through his tender creation. So Ignatius puts his finger there on that center of existence and our being created in God, offering to all Christians this fundamental insight of how to find oneself. So it's it's an act of letting myself be found. It's an act of letting myself be molded by the potter. Uh, letting go of my way of doing things so it's almost like the clay that I have, that Father Anthony has, I am created by God today. Wherever there's nodules of hard clay in me, wherever there's dry spots in me, I surrender that to the Lord. I ask him to excise those parts. I ask him perhaps to pour the dew of the Holy Spirit upon those hardened parts, Father Anthony's way of doing things, to make those soft too, so that everything about me, body and soul, is pliable. Is moldable to be made into the vessel, the living vessel that God would wish.
0: We'll return to the heart of the spiritual exercises with Father Anthony Wick in just a moment. Discerning Hearts provides content dedicated to those on the spiritual journey. To continue production of these podcasts, prayers, and more, go to DiscerningHearts.com and click the donate link found there, or inside the free Discerning Hearts app to make your donation. Thanks, and God bless. A prayer of St. Ignatius of Loyola
1: Take, Lord, and receive all my liberty, my memory, my understanding, and my entire will, all that I have and call my own. You have given all to me.
0: To you, Lord, I return it. Everything is yours. Do with it what you will. Give me only your love and your grace. That is enough for me. Amen. Did you know that Discerning Hearts has a free app in which you can find all your favorite Discerning Hearts programming? Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Deacon James Keating, Mike Aquilina, Dr. Matthew Bunsen, and so many more are found on the Discerning Hearts free app. Did you also know that you can stream Discerning Hearts programming on numerous streaming platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and so many more. And did you know that Discerning Hearts also has the YouTube page? Be sure to check out all these different places where you can find Discerning Hearts. We now return to The Heart of the Spiritual Exercises of St. Ignatius of Loyola with Father Anthony Wick. What you just shared about that relationship, it ultimately comes down to a trust, doesn't it? If you're in a relationship that is true, there is a freedom in giving complete trust over to it, no matter what happens. I mean, isn't that the the sushi prayer that it is a total surrender of the will? And that is horrifically difficult. I I think it just it it does take a lot because even in today's world, especially, but maybe it, it was always true. It was probably true at the time of Ignatius that it's more and more difficult to trust because it's been broken and it goes all the way back to our parents, doesn't it?
1: Yes, indeed. There there needs to be that trust within the relationship because I surrender myself more easily in the trust. That begins actually in utero, carrying on the, the principle and foundation into every catechesis huh? That My child is made for a purpose. That child, I need to start training that child from the moment of conception, even by the way I pray with this child in utero to praise God. I... It's such a wonderful formation that must happen. Always training the children in that for one family nearby, their three little boys. When Christmas comes, the first thing they do is they drive to church right away, and they run into the church, and they sing happy birthday to Jesus in the manger. And so the focus is clearly on Jesus and what what we're celebrating here. So just so many beautiful ways we can train our children.
0: I think... If we're really honest with ourselves, Father, that there, even in the passage of the great prayer that Christ gave us, the Our Father, we struggle with, Thy will be done. Thy will be done. Because Mm -hmm. we almost hesitate. We either fly by it without thinking, or if we really ponder that, what will that mean? And because... We want to have security, right? We want to try to establish for ourselves a safe place. And yet we may not realize that what we're trying to do isn't really all that safe to begin with. But to say, I surrender and that your will be done, you can train children to do that. But if we violate their trust in accommodating our will as parents, for example, and we do something that breaks that, it erodes at it. And as we become adults, it can be a real struggle. Thy will be done, maybe, Lord, as long as I can maintain this, 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 and this.
1: Yes. Yes. We're called, just as Jesus had two wills because he had two natures, and he inserts his human will into the divine will, he models for us how to do that, and he'll help us do that. He'll help us surrender our will into God's will. I remember reading a book recently about how thy will be done is really at the very heart of the Our Father that Jesus teaches us. And it's so beautiful, but I can only say Thy will be done within Jesus. So he's the lead. He He cuts a path for me. He's the trailblazer, and I insert myself within his prayer. And that gives me the strength to say that, knowing that God's going to draw something wonderful out of this, even though it's painful for me.
0: So as we begin to really understand what the principles and foundations are where do we go from here then
1: so praise is that initial experience that we're called to it's an invite into this relationship next comes reverence and reverence is very important for saint ignatius that god is other that we are not god that allows that gift allows for love to well up between us that the fact that I am not you, I am not this other person, allows for love to dwell up between us. It's a very good thing. One of the problems of Buddhism, for instance, is that all is one. There's no true distinction of persons in Buddhism as you study that and it's more carefully. So there's no space for true love to flare up there. So The fact that I'm not you and you are not me allows love to flare up between us. Just as the father is not the son, the father is not the son, and that allows love, uh, namely the Holy Spirit, to flare up there between them. Um, the the Son is not the Holy Spirit. So Christianity gets this right, because in Christianity, God is Other, capital O, or <laughs> not God. And we don't even have a divine spark within us. And that's a good thing, that distance, that, the fact that Father Anthony is not God, not even partially divine or something, by nature, it allows God to love me and, and I to fall back in love with God. There's a funny story about a bishop in the back of a church before the Mass begins, and he looks behind him, he sees this big banner with some poor theology, and it says, God is other people. He takes out his pen, and he puts a big comma behind the word other. God is other uh-huh. people. Uh-huh. <laughs> in reference, we praise the true God of the universe, who draws us into being from nothing, sustains us in existence by his goodness and his favor, of course. Service, praise, reverence, and service. Service birth, its part, summarizes this, constant earthly orientation of man towards God. All love response to God takes the form of service. We're made for service. Our kids, our grandkids are made for service, certainly not entitlement or anything else the world would offer. And why is this again a corrective to some spiritual musings of his time? Well, service, if you study the history of spirituality, there's some tendency among the ancients and the medievals to exalt the nature of man as made in the image of God, but in a static way, like it's a static truth. In other words, you and I are made in the image of God because we have reason, because we have free will, and God is reason, God is free. And so, talking about our comparatives with God above other creatures, above other animals on this earth, we are made in the image of God, we're more like him in those things. That's a static notion of creation, spoken of a few times in in Scripture, in the Old Testament in our dominion over creation but i propose to you that our being made in the image of god is not meant to be understood simply in that static sense as a done deal that we're more exalted than the other creatures in the new testament if we look carefully we we see unveiled a much more exalted notion of what it is to be in the image of god the highest of creatures of god for here god takes upon himself human flesh and he, he takes the lowest place in creation even becomes a foot washer a servant of other human beings Modeling for us what a proper reverential attitude towards the Father looks like. So the Son of God, now become man also, joining humanity to himself, shows us what it is to live in reverential praise and service of God the Father. So St. Paul says that he is the image of the Father, capital I. He is the perfect image of the Father. He's the capital I image. You and I are small I images. We are made in God's image, capital I, Jesus, the Son. We are small I images in the capital I image. So now we have our true orientation. I am made in the image of God, capital I. So I'm a small I image of God, made in the capital I image of God. I need this, I need to be constantly formed and molded ever more completely, holistically, beautifully into the sun. So I have my being only in the sun. You and I have our being only in the sun. And we can only properly praise, reverence, and serve God in the sun. We model what we see the son doing just as he models what he sees the father doing. And thus we find our true selves. We are sons and daughters in the son, capital S. Huh? And that's Ignatius' insight about when you go into Jesus like in the second panel of our triptych, when you immerse yourself in the son, you find yourself reformed. You find yourself re remolded molded properly to more and more the perfect image of the Son Himself.
0: There's no really getting around, is there, Father, that through Him, with Him, and in Him. You just can't get around Christ. You know, He's not just the... <laughs> a, yes, it is about the Father, but it's right. you can't really get there but through Him, with Him, and in Him.
1: So true. He is the way, and it's just such a dynamic notion of creation that I'm that we're sharing here that Ignatius offers to the Church of letting myself be created. So today, Father Anthony, yes, I'm alive. I'm healthy and well and feeling good and and feel a desire to serve the Lord today. But there's going to be a lot of plasmating, if that's a word. A lot of bending and molding of me today that I need to let happen. I need to be really open to that in a Marian type way. Whatever however the Lord wants to form me and shape me or help me respond to a situation. This creation is very dynamic, very intimate, and the Potter's hands This is an image of St. Irenaeus. The potter's hands are the Son and the Spirit. Mm -hmm. And allowing myself to be formed by the Father's hands is a very dynamic understanding of creation that is ongoing. Creation doesn't sustain itself. If, If the Lord doesn't sustain me today, I will die. We'll have a funeral tomorrow. But if he sustains me today and keeps me in existence, he'll be forming me as much as I allow him to. And this is a very intimate Experience of God, God at work in my day, and what will He be forming me for? He'll be forming me for this, this service, huh? This reverential praise and service of God. If God would just begin with service, we're called to serve God. That would be feel for us like a lifeless duty. But it begins with with the praise, huh? So praise, reverence, and service—they embody an ascending order. Service contains each of the preceding in itself, and yet man loves joy the most. God has placed this joy at the outset. He's given it to us together with our existence. There's a deep joy in allowing ourselves to be created, to have that kind of relationship with the Lord. And from that, I find my identity and hence my mission. But ultimately, we're not there for ourselves. We're here for God. And so joy's point of departure gets me involved in the relationship. I'm enjoying this, but it leads its fulfillment in service. And I'm completely other-centered. My greatest joy is to serve my greatest joy is to be a foot washer. If indeed that is true to my life, then I have indeed been fully formed in the image of God, namely the capital I image, the Son. I'm living his experience of loving to serve, loving to serve. I enjoy serving. I, I love lifting up others, exalting others, and helping them find their true relationship in God, to find themselves in God. What a joy, what a gift, and all people are called to that Lay people in fact are the primary evangelizers in the church. And to be an evangelizer means I'm really putting people in touch with an intimate encounter with the Son so that they too can be recreated in him.
0: Well, okay. and in that service too, I mean, that really is what has been so clearly laid out by Christ when he speaks about the the Greek as we come to know have known them as the two great commandments that we love God, but we also love our neighbor. Because in loving our neighbor, we are loving him. And that response is, and in, in to do it w- with joy. I mean, yes, it can cause some effort on our part. There may even entail a, a degree of suffering sometimes. I think of a maybe a young mother caring for the, the children at home while she's not able to go out and participate with friends, for example or to to do the things that she would like to do, but to love them enough to be present to them, to Christ in them, even for that period of time. It's that type of loving service, isn't it?
1: Yes. So when we love God with our whole heart, mind, and soul, as we read all the way in, in Deuteronomy and the first parts of Scripture, we begin to love what God loves. And so, in this relationship with God, our primary relationship, we now draw others into that loving relationship. So I now love with the love of God too. Though I don't have Father Anthony doesn't have this ability to oh I'm such a great lover I can love on other people I really love people I love to see them thrive and I'm a very generous person No no I receive this love of God I receive divine love and I be As a gift, I receive divine love and I can love others with a divine love and draw them into their experience of divine love. They're one-on-one with the Lord. So I love all things in God. God gives me a vision. He gives me a deeper love for my neighbor. So I can now love my neighbor as I love myself because I see myself recreated in the image of God. So I see myself in this incredibly intimate relationship that is so life-giving and joy-filled that my form of service takes the form of of loving others into wholeness. I like the Samaritan woman. I can't wait to go share the good news and draw other peoples into what? To draw other people into out of their comfort zones, the city, into the desert, to have a one-on-one with Jesus. Have a one-on-one with Jesus. And then they, filled with the light of Jesus and this new life to be recreated in him, they're going to want to spread that like a light to others. They're going to want to spread that intimate relationship. They're going to be loving on others, no matter where these others are in their lives, even if they've hurt them or whatnot, but draw them into a one-on-one with Jesus too. So that's how Jesus um, wants us to be recreated in him, always in relationship.
0: I think sometimes we get blocked up, don't we, Father? Because we want, again, it goes back to trust, but we want people to like us, so we try to put on a, is. a Is it might be termed, a false self or the persona that we want them to see because we think that it will be something that will be acceptable to them as opposed to trying to be authentically who we are, good and bad. and uh, Not that that we go around telling everybody how awful we are. That's not my point. But, I mean, to accept ourselves and to love Mm -hmm. us who we are, even with our challenges and our struggles and, you know, all the things that make us it, it, because by being authentic, that's much more relatable in relationship than trying to be something or not.
1: Yes, i'm I'm a beloved sinner. I, I'm messy and God loves me in that messiness to love me out of the messiness. This is a principle for ministry for Ignatius. Go in someone else's door to come out your own, but God loves me incarnationally in my messiness to love me out. So those need to open up those cavernous spaces that might be have darkness in me. Allow the Lord in there. But that's that's critical as opposed to vanity is an undue concern about what others think of me. So as you're saying, Chris, if I'm worried about I need to Facebook for others so they like me or that I'm attractive or I look like however I want to look for someone else, I'm giving them an undue place in my life. I'm concerned about what others think of me. And my locus, my center is in them and, and their opinion of me. And I'm doing a song and dance to try to impress them And I've lost myself in that. I don't know myself as a beautiful, beloved, and blessed child of God, first and foremost. We're a child uh, formed by the Father, continually being formed in the womb of God, if you will. Maybe there's an image, too, that we could ponder how we're always in utero in God, if you will, (laughs) constantly being formed to the fullness of a stature of of a man in Christ, as St. Paul will say.
0: And I know we'll be going more into this as we go deeper into the exercises because it's part of its purpose but that we are part of loving ourselves is knowing that we've been forgiven or even deeper, we've been reconciled. It's attached to atonement and all those different types of things that Christ has come into the world to, to give us, to share with us. But part of it is to, to accept, I am. Yes. we may have messed up. I have made choices that have been wrong. I was not always the person I was supposed to be. But you know what? God loves me. And I I am reconciled with him in that. I have a freedom in that. And it's embracing that. That's so important, isn't it?
1: Thank you for saying that, Chris. This is a perfect illustration of how this plays out in the concrete. In other words, when we have this Copernican revolution and we're focused on the heart of Jesus, which is a heart on fire, we want to just please that heart. Jesus, when he reveals himself in his sacred heart to St. Faustina Kowalska in Poland, tells us that the flames of mercy are burning him. They're clamoring to be spent, he says. Huh? He wants us to snuggle close, he says, to his merciful heart, to receive the graces there. It pleases his heart greatly to pour mercy, merciful rays of cleansing and, and reforming and creative graces upon us. It pleases his heart. He loves the feel of those rays of mercy flowing out from, from his heart. So you and know, I get off track, if I'm focused on my sins, I can't believe I did that. What a terrible thing I've done. Or maybe when I was in high school, boy, I did some terrible things. I'm still embarrassed, and every time I go to confession for these and all the sins of my past life, I'm heartily sorry. And as a priest, I sometimes wonder: Are have you asked forgiveness for all those sins? What are is there some sins you need to confess from your past life that you've never confessed, or are you still uh, do you still have some sins you haven't forgiven yourself for, even though God's forgiven? Huh? Am I holding on to some things from the past that I shouldn't be? In other words, allow those to be bathed in the mercy of Christ. The saints are never surprised at their sins of the past. They don't, they can't, oh, I can't believe that I did this when I was young. They're amazed they didn't fall deeper into sin. (laughs) That's part of the Copernican revolution, like God kept me from falling much deeper into sin than I did. So yeah, I'm sorry that I did those things, but I'm amazed more than anything that I didn't fall deeper into sin. They keep their focus on the heart of Christ and what the heart of Christ has done and the love of Christ, the merciful rays of Christ. When we focus on the mercy of God, I no longer focus on my sin or beat myself up for even terrible choices that I've made recently or in the past. Keep focus on the heart of Christ and it pleases Christ's heart to pour these merciful rays upon him. Therese on her deathbed, 24 years old. One of the sisters points out a fault. She sees in Therese. We don't know what the fault is is she didn't say it in her autobiography. And Therese's response was not, that's not a fault. You're just, or you've got faults too, sister. (laughs) Her response was, oh, how happy I am to see myself imperfect, even at the moment of my death. She knew that, she knew the good shepherd. She had a relationship with the good shepherd and she knew that the greatest joy of the good shepherd's heart was to rescue his sheep. So she was like, thank you, sister, for pointing out that nodule in my heart that I didn't recognize myself. Let's say it was impatience, maybe. Thank you for pointing that out. I'm going to invite the Good Shepherd to come rescue me there and to turn that into a heart of flesh. Thank you for pointing that out. Because it pleases the Good Shepherd's heart. That was her focus. And that's, that's what we're called to also be focused on, is the heart of Jesus. What pleases his heart?
0: Father Anthony, we have so much more to talk about when it comes to the principles and foundations, and especially as we begin to enter into the spiritual exercises but in closing this particular episode, any final thoughts? I would
1: say that ponder this, pray
0: about this. I invite your listeners to pray about
1: this. Ask the Lord for the grace to reorient their lives outside of themselves, towards the praise, reverence, and service of God. Teach me, Lord, today what that means to reorient my life as You would wish. I think that's a that's a beautiful prayer, asking the Lord to help me see this, uh, how I'm called to. Praise, reverence, and serve God, and make that my fundamental choice to, today, and allow that to be my constantly my constant experience of being recreated.
0: That's wonderful. Thank you so much, Father Anthony Wick. You've been listening to the Heart of the Spiritual Exercises of Saint Ignatius of Loyola with Father Anthony Wick. This episode, along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit discerninghearts.com. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission, which is to offer authentic and rock-solid spiritual formation freely to souls around the world. And if you feel us worthy, please consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible, to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about discerninghearts.com and join us next time for The Heart of the Spiritual Exercises of St. Ignatius of Loyola with Father Anthony Wick.